Have you ever been on a very long trip, driving in the car, with either little ones in the back seat, or if you remember yourself being in the back seat on a long car ride? What was one of the biggest questions that you remember hearing in those long car rides? Oh, wonderful, you know. <laughs> Are we there yet? I'm sure that there's some sort of song that goes along with that as well, because we've all sang that tune from one time to another. Whether you've been on that road for five hours or five minutes, usually it's the latter with my son Abraham, we will end up asking, how long until we get there? Is it far away? Is, this is taking forever. Are we there yet? We took a trip just yesterday to go visit my grandpa who turned 92 years old. Um, we celebrated his birthday in Lake George, New York. The trip took just under three hours. It used to take about four hours when we lived in Rhode Island, so we're thankful that it was a little less than three hours. But Abraham was still feeling like this took a million years. About five minutes down the road, before we were turning onto the highway, he said, how long is this gonna take? He, he didn't know. <laughs> it was gonna be another three hours. Much of life can seem like a waiting game. Doctor's appointments, test results, car traffic, the start for a meeting, the bell to ring at school for the next class, the grocery store line. We do a lot of waiting in life, don't we? With all the waiting, and often the next thought then becomes, what do we do with this waiting? What do we do as we're waiting for the next thing? What do we do to help the time pass? How do we use the time that we are given as we wait to be productive? So often in society now we have our cell phones where we can check our email and answer email as we're waiting in line or in the doctor's office to be productive, right? Especially in America, we hate wasting time. So these two questions we so often find ourselves asking, how much longer and what do we do in the meantime? These feelings and these questions, they're a lot of what the disciples were having during the days leading up to Pentecost. And they asked them to Jesus on the day that he ascended back to the Father, 40 days after the resurrection. Our text for today comes from the book of Acts, if you have your Bibles with you or your Bible apps. Go ahead and open up to the book of Acts. We're going to be in chapter 1, and we're going to begin in verse 1, continuing through verse 11. Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. In my former book, Theopolis, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day that he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John, he baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and they asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Is this now the time? Are we there yet? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, 
but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he had said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand there looking into the sky? This same Jesus who had been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. The word of our Lord, and we say thanks be to God. So the story of Jesus' ascension, it marks the end of Jesus' post-resurrection appearance. So Jesus was resurrected on Easter, and then for 40 days, he walked among his people, showing up in different ways. He showed up through um, proving that he was alive, through breaking of bread together, having a meal with the disciples. He showed his wounds on his hands and his feet. Remember doubting Thomas? He read the scriptures to them about himself. We now see the fulfillment of those scriptures of Jesus needing to return to the Father. That is this ascension after the resurrection. Now I will admit that the ascension narrative is very problematic for me. It's hard to understand, complicated. It's not really a logical explanation, if you will. It's very much like trying to talk about the transfiguration of Jesus that happens earlier in the chapters of the gospel accounts. Or like trying to explain how Jesus really was resurrected from the dead at all. It's just not easy. It's not logical. It can't be scientifically proven so easily. It's hard to wrap our minds around it. How do we explain how Jesus was taken up to heaven? How can we, who were not physically there at the time, even picture it taking place? One thing I will say that it's always through the seemingly unexplainable stories found in scripture that we are provided with more of a reason to have faith and more of a reason to trust, to trust in the larger biblical narrative because it's God's narrative. There's nothing here that is conventional, controlled, or predictable. Instead, the narrative lets us see that these little wonderment glimpses that, this, that we, while we are still understanding, still trying to wrap our brains around it, this is ultimately God's new rule, and it's beyond our logical comprehension. Right before the ascension, Jesus commands his disciples to wait. We read in verse four, Jesus says, wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father. The promise here is the coming of the Holy Spirit. Instead of being plunged into water, they will now be plunged into the Holy Spirit. The promise for us today is not only the promise of the Holy Spirit, but that Jesus will return again. That is our current promise. We have already heard Jesus speak of the kingdom of heaven many times throughout the gospels. The timing of God is not the same as our timing, we hear. The kingdom of heaven does not work according to how the world works. So for Jesus to say that we understand, uh, for Jesus to, uh, to say this, we understand that waiting for this dynamic future to unfold involves a measure of uncertainty and a measure of urgency all at the same time. What makes it possible for the disciples to hope for tomorrow's best is God's past faithfulness. 
That is how they can have hope. His resurrection and then his ascension are reflections of God's faithfulness, both to him and the promises made to Israel because of him. God has been faithful. Therefore, we can have hope that he'll be faithful again. Our capacity to wait expectantly for God to act according to the promise is cultivated by our own memory and our own record of God's faithfulness in the history of ourselves and in the history of others. How is it that we walk through new trials trusting that God will take care of us? It's because we know that he's been faithful in the past, right? And that he will be faithful again because of the way he's already proven himself. We can lean in on scriptures that tell of God's faithfulness. We can lean in on the testimonies of others who have also seen the faithfulness of God. The disciples here, they're being called to wait for yet another promise of the Father. While it may make no sense to continue to wait at this point, I mean, gosh, we've already waited so long, they do so because they have already seen the faithfulness of God, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and the miracles that have been performed. They can trust that it will happen again. But trusting and waiting, it can be so hard. Even his disciples had trouble understanding this waiting. What were they waiting for? And how much longer would it take? Are we there yet? In verse six, the disciples ask, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? That's what they're hoping for. The restoration, the renewing, the completeness to finally come. God's complete reign to come. I can sense a little bit of an impatient child with that question. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? How much longer? This is taking forever. See, they hadn't been expecting that Jesus would die this violent death. His crucifixion made it look as if they were all wrong about this promise that he was the Messiah. Maybe he wasn't the Messiah at all. Maybe what they were hoping would happen won't take place. Israel won't be renewed. The world will just carry on in its wicked ways. The rich will continue to be powerful and oppressing, and the poor will be needy forever. Business as usual. But wait. What they had been promised actually was fulfilled. Christ was resurrected. Christ became alive again. He is alive today. Amen? Amen. So what they had waited for came to fruition. They just had to wait a little longer than what they had expected. Jesus rises from the dead, surprising and confusing their own and everyone else's expectations. What did it mean now? Did it mean now that their dreams of restoring the kingdom of Israel were now back on track because he's been resurrected? Well, in a sense it did and didn't. Just the resurrection isn't the end. Like everything else, the dream of the kingdom has been transformed through Jesus' death and resurrection. So a piece of it has taken place. But God's kingdom is coming in and through the work of Jesus, not by taking people away from this world, but by transforming things within this world, bringing the sphere of earth into the presence and under the rule of heaven itself. So now we wait. There is more to take place. Jesus will come again. His reply is this well-known promise. 
but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You, you congregation will receive power. The word Luke uses for power is called dynamis, which denotes a robust force in work in demonstrating ways for all to see. It's dynamite. It's something that is so strong. Everybody sees it. Everybody feels it. Everybody notices the power. Such a power comes with the spirit of prophecy. The spirit does not bring a political authority upon the apostles, but rather new competencies that enable them to perform the tasks given to them. So they're not receiving this power of which they expected. They're not gonna overrule the political force of Rome, but instead, they are given the opportunity and the ability through inspired words, through miraculous works, through leadership within the common community's life. They can't change the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire will not bow down to them or even change their ways just because the apostles have been given power. And that is true to us today, am I right? True Christ followers, they don't live according to the political realm or the political realm doesn't live according to us. We do not stand for a particular party or stand for a particular point of view as Christians. We stand as Christians. Political realm is separate. The power given to us brings us the ability to minister, though. Brings us the ability to love, the ability to lead, bring hope, bring change through the restoring of lives to the kingdom rather than to the politics of the day. To be sure, this is not quite the power that they had all expected and had in mind. Jesus did not come riding in on this mighty stallion, overthrowing everything. Instead, he came in riding on a donkey. The realm of their power will rival the Roman Empire, but just a little different than what they had expected. It will extend to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, but done a little differently. They were commanded that they would be witnesses of Jesus Christ's death and resurrection through all the lands, the local and extending beyond all the regions to the known earth. This definition of disciple now given to them is more than just having a relationship with Jesus. Up until now, they have walked with him, listened to him, participated in relation with him. But now, their definition of disciple is more of a witness, one who shares. I often think of a witness in a court system, sharing of what you have seen and heard, sharing your perspective. For the disciples and for us today, to be a witness means to share of the resurrection and of the ascension, of which is to about happen to them. And Jesus indeed being enthroned in Israel's, as Israel's Messiah and therefore king of the whole world, we are to be witnesses of that. We are to share of that. Jesus is the one at whose name every knee shall bow, as Paul puts it in Philippians. This is what we are to share. This is how we are to be witnesses, to speak of the truth of Jesus Christ. As you see, it's important to understand this key piece about the world of the first century to grasp this idea just a little bit better for us today. You see, when somebody was enthroned as a king, 
the new authority, they would then take effect these heralds that they would send out with trumpets blasting, announcing the good news. Dun, 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 dun. We have a new king. Dun, 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 dun. We have a new king. They will announce throughout all the lands because not everyone lived right next to the king and his palace. So that was the only way of which they could proclaim the news of having a new king. They would know that at that time, there was a need to have someone in power. Because everyone in that ancient world knew that anarchy was always worse than some sort of authorized government. So whether they really liked that king or not, it was better to have a king than not have one at all. And the only way to hear of that, to know of that, was through these heralds or these witnesses of which would pronounce the knowledge of truth. So these heralds, these messengers, they would go off to the far reaches of the kingdom, announcing that the, the new king, Claudius or Nero, or whoever that rightful king is, is now in allegiance. They would demand that all would bow down to this person. So now the apostles, this is their job as heralds to go out, to announce, to say who the new king is, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the one who had died, was rose again, has now ascended to the Father, and who will come back again. Dun, 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 dun. Christ Jesus is risen. Dun, 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 dun. He will come back again. That is our job. We are witnesses. We are heralds. We are messengers today, sent out among the lands locally and further out to share of the good news. We as apostles, we are sent out to proclaim the salvation, the mighty works of Jesus, and we do everything in Jesus's name. The disciples of Christ, they were called to witness, little realizing how the spirit is hanging in the shadows here, waiting to transform all that they do in this outpouring of God's love Everything that they are announcing, everything that they are proclaiming, they are then going to give this power, be given this power to be able to do so better, to be making larger, grandiose changes because of the power of the Holy Spirit. At this ascension, Jesus verbally states the power that will come. Pentecost, that we'll celebrate next week, is then the physical movement of the gift of this power coming and resting upon the people. But we can't dismiss where we stand right now, where the disciples stand, as Jesus is lifted up and leaves them. I can't help but sense this grief and loss that they must feel. Jesus is leaving them again. I mean, they were staring so intently into the sky. This man, he left us, he died, but then he came back. But now he's leaving us again. I don't know but I wouldn't be doing so well if I had my best friend leave me, not once, but twice. See, they're staring intently into the sky, left alone, when suddenly they have to be called back to reality when two men in white call them and say, what are you doing? We have work to do. The ascension of Jesus is a moment of loss, a moment of transition, as well as a moment of glory. We read in Acts 1 with these mixed emotions, reliving the grief that the apostles had of Jesus being taken from them. 
But yet, amidst the grief, we hold on to hope. We hold on to hope of the work of God, of what he has prepared for us to do. The hope of being able to witness. The hope of knowing that Christ will come again. The ascension, it initiates a new era when Jesus is no longer present in the flesh. But when the community then is able to look outward and they begin to add to their numbers daily. See, absence, it's kind of this fascinating thing, strange. Absence can only be felt after this presence has been occupied, after this presence has been interrupted. We only feel absence when we have felt presence. Absence is only difficult when the presence was so meaningful. Many people who have lost a friend or a loved one in some horrific way, such as cancer, suicide, SIDS, or the like, they often then find themselves seeking ways to raise awareness, spread the news, make a difference in others' lives around the world as a way to deal with the grief, to move forward in the absence because the presence of that person meant so much. For the disciples, I'm sure that they wrestled with this grief and loss over and over again as Jesus has now ascended. But they used that pain and the absence of it to have hope for tomorrow, given Christ's command that they look forward to and they can see him again. They look forward to the hope and they move outward into the community to be able to share that hope. And this, this is our call to today. We are called to be witnesses, to look outward into our community, into our Jerusalem, Manchester, Main Street, to look out into our Judea and our Samaria, Vernon, Bolton. We are called to allow the Holy Spirit to work through us as we witness, as we share and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, who is risen he is risen indeed. You see, the purpose of Acts is to tell a story that bids the current readers to continue what Christ began in their own time. You too are witnesses of these things through the reading of the scripture and allowing the Holy Spirit to move in your heart. Just as the apostles go out sharing the news to the later chapters of Acts, those they encounter become Christians, and those that become Christians are baptized, and those who have been baptized then become witnesses themselves, sharing of the good news. We, Manchester Church of the Nazarene, we, Donna, Evelyn, Mark, Rick, we are witnesses. We are called to share the good news. We are not allowed just to put down this good novel and return to our business as usual. Instead, we are mandated to proclaim the story, to call for repentance, to declare divine forgiveness of sins. We, like the original apostles, are to be recipients of the power that the Father promises, an indication that God intends for his plans to be computed, completed in the future, for the whole earth to be restored. That has not happened yet but our hope and our promise will be fulfilled. It's interesting, the difference found here in Acts chapter one and in the end of Luke's gospel. You know, Luke writes the book of Acts. And it's interesting to me that he writes it a little differently. The ending, chapter 24 of Luke, and the beginning of Acts, when he shares of what happens when Jesus is ascended and leaves the disciples. 
In the end of Luke, in chapter 24, we see the disciples, they respond to this ascension with outbursts of worship, where Acts, they just stare dumbfoundedly, thinking, okay, is he coming back? Is he coming back? But in Luke, they stay stand and they worship. They sing praises. Rather than being depressed that Jesus has left them with this, with this responsibility, the disciples, they are ecstatic and they worship Jesus. I'm not so sure that that would have been my response, but I will admit, it offers a really, really good example of how worship and witness and evangelism, they're so intertwined together. They need each other. You can't have one without the other. You see how the singing of hymns and the praise songs, the prayers of thanksgiving and intercession, the reading of scripture, the breaking of bread and communion, they keep the church in touch with one another. We spend time as brothers and sisters worshiping together through all of those elements of a service. We keep in touch with this promise and power of the Father. We remember and we are reconnected through this time of worship. But those actions within the context of the church, they also make it possible to glorify and enjoy God and what he has done outside of the sanctuary. It is possible to be worshipers beyond these four walls because we have been renewed within the walls. To be witnesses beyond these walls, we have to step out and worship beyond our time here. Worship becomes an occasion when we are then retold the story over and over again of how the nations have been fulfilled with this promise. The promise has been fulfilled to the nations. Worship allows then for this witness that we are then able to be a witness out beyond these four walls. We can see, on the other hand, if we don't combine worship and witness and evangelism, that when we come in here, when it is separated from witness, without the moving out, without moving beyond these walls, this gathering, this sharing of our experience of faith, the church, it ends up turning upon itself. It turns in upon itself and it loses its reason for being. We find that singing, praying, and reading scriptures becomes bland, ineffective, and honestly, we lose this sense of hope if we don't bring that worship beyond our doors. See, worship is a place in which the new power given to the church of God leads it to glad and sincere witness, boldly speaking of the resurrection and newness of life. We are renewed, we are rejuvenated, given the power again, reminded of what Christ has done to then be able to go out and serve. It's appropriate, I think, as we're one week away from celebrating Pentecost, that we reflect on this church's mission, on the church's mission globally around the world that we reflect on the importance of worship as we partner to mission, the critical role of scriptures and how they play in providing direction. As the people of God, we should fully appreciate what the ascension of Jesus Christ means. The ascension, not just the resurrection, is a divine promise fulfilled. This is where we find ourselves written in the grand narrative. We, even today, are in this space between Jesus Christ's departure and his return again. 
We are called to be effective witnesses during this time. We are called to do that with the gift of the Holy Spirit, empowering us to not only worship and to be one with the Father through Jesus Christ, but also, also being empowered to witness and share that gift with others through evangelism. This torch has been passed to us, and then we are now called to pass this torch onto the next generation, and the next generation, and the next generation, until Christ returns again. We're gonna close this morning with a song that we've been doing a couple of times within this past month as our opening in hopes that you would begin to learn the words, hear the melody, and be able to then participate in singing with us. It speaks of following Christ through whatever that looks like. We will go where Christ goes. We will move how Christ moves. We will remain and yes, wait when Christ waits. We will follow in the footsteps of the one who leads us. It also speaks of the work of the spirit that has been given to us as a guide, shaping us, leading us, and helping us to move the ways that Christ moves. We're gonna close in singing. I'm gonna ask you to stand singing with us. Where you go, I go. I will follow. I will follow Christ. And may this be our time of worship, continuing to renew us, continuing to revive us, and send us out. Because worship and evangelism must go hand in hand. Worship and witness of that worship must go hand in hand. We begin here, but we are sent out as the people of God. Sing with us. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. When you move, I'll move. I will follow. Trust in you alone, higher than my sight, high above my life. I will trust in you alone. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. When you move, I'll move. I will follow you. Who you love, I'll love. How you serve, I'll serve If this life I lose I will follow you Yeah I will follow you Yeah Light into the world Light into my life I will live for you alone You're the one I see Knowing I will find all I need in you alone, in you alone. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. When you move, I'll move. I will follow you. Who you love, I'll love. How you serve, I'll serve. If this life I lose, I will follow you. Follow you.
life everlasting in you there's freedom for my soul in you there's joy unending joy and i will follow where you go i'll go where you stay i'll stay when you move i'll move i will follow you who you love i'll love how you serve i'll serve if this life i lose i will follow you where you go i'll go where you stay i'll stay when you move i'll move i will follow you who you love i'll love how you serve i'll serve if this life i lose i will follow you yeah i will follow you Receive this benediction. Yes, amen, amen. Father God, help us to continue to move as you move, speak as you speak, love as you love, serve as you serve. Receive this benediction as we leave. Go from here as witnesses of what you have seen and heard. Share God's love with those that you meet. Bring hope to those who are in despair. Live lives of gratitude and of praise. And may the love of God, the peace of Jesus Christ, and the ongoing presence of the Holy Spirit be within you and among you until we meet again. Amen. You are dismissed. <laughs>